would it take? Now, psychology today, they ask 52,000 Americans that question, and uh, predominantly people answered things like uh, more friends, more exciting social life, a great job, falling in love, more recognition, success, more sex. Figure that one. Better financial situation. People said owning a a new home would make them happy. Being a parent, being attractive, living in a certain place in in the world. And and what's interesting, if you look through the list, is that they are things that people think will bring them happiness, and they're all external instead of internal. You know, there's a kind of this popular concept in, in our country that happiness is found by having the right set of circumstances in life. It's kind of the uh, win-then kind of thinking, you know. When I make X amount of money, then I'll be happy. You know, when I get that job, then I'll be happy. You know, when I get married, then I'll be happy. You know, when we have kids... Then we'll be happy when the kids leave home. Then we'll be happy. (laughs) You know, everybody laughing, his parents probably. But there's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Solomon that kind of goes on this quest for, for happiness. Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, he says, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness is. Now, if you want to save yourself a lot of time, a lot of disappointment, I'd recommend you go home and read the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, you know what? I've tried it all. I've tried all this stuff, and I found they are dead ends. I found there's dead ends. Uh, I thought accumulating things would do it, but that was a dead end. I thought experiencing pleasure in life would do it, but that was a dead end. I thought achieving success, I mean, it all promised so much, but it delivers very little. And it's interesting, those are the three things that we spend an enormous amount of time and energy trying to get in our lives. Solomon had it all. I mean, he had wealth, he had success, he had prestige and power. He was the most celebrated and successful man of his time. And somehow we fall into the same traps. I mean, we think, okay, if I just had the financial octane, to, to get all the stuff, all the things that I want, then I'd be happy. You know, if I just won the lottery, then I'd be happy. You know, someone asked Howard Hughes one time at, the time, at that point in his life, he was the richest person in the world. I said, how much does it take to make you happy? And he said, just a little bit more. And I think that trips a lot of people up. You know, we get on this treadmill of disappointment, and the media basically lies to us. The fact is, you can't buy happiness. You can't buy happiness. People think, well, maybe if I just experience the the latest thrills in life, then I'll be happy. And there are people every weekend, they go on a thrill-seeking adventure. You know, I just need a good party. Then, Then I'll be happy. I just need an extravagant getaway. Then I'll be happy. I'm going to go on a shopping spree. And then I'll be happy. And Solomon says, you know what? I've tried it all. I've tried all this stuff. It doesn't deliver. It will leave you wanting. It will keep you reaching for more and more and more. 
Some of you bought into the idea that maybe if you could achieve enough, that that would do the trick. You know, if you could just get that house or that car or that job or get in a position where people look up to you, then you'd be happy. I mean, we are so uh, status conscious in, in our society. And Solomon says, you know what? I was a king of an empire. And I had everything, and it doesn't bring happiness. In fact, he writes these words. He says, all of it is meaningless and chasing after the wind. Popular idea. If I have the right circumstances, I'll be happy. But friends, God says there's a better way, that happiness is having the right attitude. Matthew 5, we're going to be looking at this. It's the opening line of Jesus' most famous sermon. It's a sermon on the mount. And it is basically eight positive statements about happiness. Uh, It's called the Beatitudes. They're they're attitudes for living life. And, And I think it's interesting because of all the subjects that Jesus could have spoke on, he starts with this subject, how to be happy. I find that interesting. Why, why do you think that? Why, why did he start there? It's because he understood that happiness is something we are all searching for. He knew that the people of his day were searching for happiness, and he also knew that very few people ever find it. And so what we're going to do in this series, we're calling it eight, because there are eight Beatitudes, And these are not just attitudes for living, they're they're principles for kind of personal happiness, but it's also, if you listen, it's kind of prescription for emotional health. It'll keep you balanced in in life. And so today what I'm going to look at is how to activate the right attitude in your life. I mean, each of the attitudes or the Beatitudes, they, they start with the word blessed. You know, in the old English, that's happy. Happy. Jesus is teaching, saying, saying things like, um, you know, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs shall be the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, happy are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be filled. Happy are the persecuted for righteousness. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And friends, if you read through all the Beatitudes, they sound like contradictions. They sound like contradictions big time. Happy if you're sad. Happy if you're poor. Happy if you long for righteousness. Happy if you get persecuted in life. And I'm reading these thinking, doesn't sound like happiness to me at all. And that was Jesus. Jesus kind of rocked everybody. When, when he talked on this topic, because Jesus was saying, you can learn to be happy despite and in spite of your circumstances. In other words, some of us have bought into the idea that when all of our problems are solved, then I'll be happy. And I got a newsflash for you today. If that's what you're thinking, you will never be happy. You will never be happy if you think, hey, I'll be happy when everything's perfect in my life. Because it's never going to be perfect. And Jesus kind of challenges that prevailing thought in his society and in ours. Jesus says happiness doesn't depend on the right circumstances. It doesn't depend on that. It depends on the right attitude in life. 
Happiness isn't something that's external in our lives. It depends on an internal attitude. In other words, my happiness is not determined by what's happening around me, but what's happening in me. In other words, happiness is a choice. You choose the right attitude, and whether you're in a situation where you should be happy or sad or somewhere in between, get this, you're as happy as you decide to be in life. Now, I got a newsflash if you haven't figured this out. Life's tough. True? Life's tough. Lots of things don't go your way in life. There are disappointments and failures and frustrations, but happiness depends on choosing the right attitude in life. I mean, the first step toward that attitude, and this is the first line of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Read it with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's that mean? I mean, he's not talking about low self-esteem here. He's not talking about putting yourself down. In fact, God places a very high value and a very high price on you. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. Because you have value. You have worth. You have significance in your life. Now, You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We've all sinned. That's why Jesus came and gave his life for us. And we need to understand that about ourselves. But God never intended for us to run around putting ourselves down all the time, beating ourselves up, going, you know what? I'm just awful. I am a loser. I'm no good. I'm bad. I'm evil. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It simply means to depend upon God. Jesus is talking about a thing called humility here. In other words, admitting I don't have it all together in my life. Realizing that I haven't arrived. Accepting the fact that I haven't learned it all. That I am not, newsflash, the center of the universe. The opposite of a poor spirit is arrogance. Egotism. If you're full of arrogance and egotism, Jesus says, you're never going to be happy in life. You know, the Good News translation says, happier those who know they are spiritually poor. They know they don't have it all together. They know that they need God in their life. The Living Bible says, happier the humble. You know, the, the point Jesus is making is simply that Humility and happiness go together. They're, they're kind of like twins, soulmates. You know, if you want lasting happiness, he says you've got to learn to be humble. So I, I wonder, what if, what if we decided to activate humility in our lives? I mean, what's, what's going to happen? You know, what's in it for me? You know, if I am willing to go down that path of humility... How's it going to increase my happiness? Well, first of all, I think humility alleviates stress in life. You know, when I'm humble, when I accept the fact that I don't have all the answers for my life, that, that I need God in the midst of it, when I realize that it doesn't all depend on me, 
when I realized that I can resign as manager of the universe, I don't have to fake it. I do not have to pretend I'm perfect and that I've got it all together. I don't have to play God and assume responsibility for things that aren't mine. Friends, when you do that, it changes everything. I mean, God doesn't demand that we be perfect in order to be happy. In fact, when you finally step back from it or are willing to say, you know what? i got to let all that stuff go. You're able to get rid of some tension, that tension between real and ideal. I mean, do you ever have that tension? You know, the way you want your life to go, the way you want your career to unfold, the way you want things, you imagine things, you know, your marriage, your kids, whatever. You know, it, all of a sudden, can, you can find that you can live with what is reality and your ideal this tension that's there, humility allows you to accept that fact. And because you're depending on God, even when things aren't ideal, it it changes things. I mean, you may not have the best job, you may not have a perfect marriage, you may not have perfect kids, but when you are humble and you say, okay, God, you're in the middle of this, you find it alleviates stress. I mean, I'm convinced we take ourselves too serious. True? I mean, I remember when I, when I first got my doctor's degree, people all the time coming up, they're going, hey, what, what should we call you? You know? And so I had pat answers. I'd go, Gumby. Zoomy. Those were my nicknames when I was a little kid. Do not call me that, by the way. <laughs> like a superhero name or something, you know. But, you know, I think we take ourselves too serious. And I think we don't take God serious enough in our lives. And this is really core to most of the problems in our life because we're out trying to impress people with who we are. And because we know who we are. And we also know who we want to be. And we know there's this big gap. And so we, we play these ridiculous games. But friends, when you humble yourself, when I, when I live my life depending on God, it reduces, it alleviates my stress in my life big time. And as the stress goes down, happiness goes up. Humility also, it, it permeates our, our relationships. Now, how many of you would love to be around someone very egotistical? How many of you are sitting next to someone? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> but prideful people are a pain. I mean, they're selfish. They're, they're self-centered. They are tough to be around. People don't like being around. They wreck relationships. They destroy whatever atmospheres they, they get in. Self-centered people... I have found, are never happy. And because they're unhappy, they're going to make everybody else around them unhappy. I mean, it's just the way it is. They, they wreak havoc because of this tension in them. They destroy working environments. They just destroy relationships right and left. Now, how many of you like to be around someone that's humble? Hmm? Sure. We like being with people that are real, people who don't think they're something special. You know, that the the world needs to just kind of cater to them. 
we like being around people that aren't always trying to impress us or one-up us in life. When humility permeates our relationships, what, what we find is we get along better with people. We connect with people. Paul wrote it this way. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now hear this. Humility does not mean that you think less of yourself. I've heard that preached. That's not true. It doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It just means thinking more of other people. Because when you become interested in other people, get this, people get interested in you. When you become humble in your life, it permeates your relationships. It makes a huge difference. You have better relationships in your life. You don't have to be right all the time, all of a sudden. It's easier to say, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I need help. I like what uh, St. Francis Assisi, he was a a monk, and uh, he had kind of this method that he went through of maintaining uh, humility in his life. So in his memoirs, uh, if if you read through his journals, he says, anytime anyone praised him for something, in order for him to stay humble, he would have one of his fellow monks get with him and tell him all of his faults. Now, he had to ask a fellow monk because he wasn't married, okay? And so, oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm going to say most of you don't need to go find a monk, just go home, you know. And, and I mean, we kind, of, we kind of laugh about it, but serious, guys, it is not our job to keep our wives humble. And ladies, not your job to keep your husband humble. It's God's job. You know, I like what uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, his wife said. She said, my job's to love Billy. It's God's job to keep him humble. Friends, in your marriage, you need to be the supporter, the encourager, the cheerleader, the, the person that says, you know what, I'm there for you. What do you need? You know, let God do the humiliating. God's really good at it, by the way. I mean, he can bring me down a notch like that. But humility, humility improves my relationships. Friends, I I find when I get full of pride, I bruise really easy. I get very sensitive to other people's comments in, in my life. When I'm, when I'm pumped up and I'm trying to impress people and someone says something, something that really shouldn't bother me, it just hurts. You know, you get gets kind of this life all its own. It's, it's like uh, sticking a pin in a balloon. It's just like... <sighs> but on the other hand, I found when I'm walking humbly with God and I'm just, you know, connected that just being who I am, being honest and dependent on God, that it's kind of weird, but I almost become immune to things. You know, I'll be walking with God, and kind of my attitude's this. They may be right. They may be wrong. 
but I'm just going to please God. See, it, it just takes it dials everything down. I mean, if you're around someone that, that is extremely sensitive to criticism, easily undone and bruised, I would almost guarantee you they have not activated the first principle of happiness, and that is being humble and walking with God and God's spirit. When I'm poor in spirit, humble, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend that I'm perfect, that I've got it all together. Humility, okay, alleviates stress. It permeates my relationships, and it does one more thing, and that is it anticipates God's power. In other words, humility releases God's power in my life. James writes this, he says, God gives strength to the humble, but opposes the proud. How many of you would like to have God's strength in your life? You know, how many of you would like to have God's strength in a situation in your life? Because the Bible, the Bible's really clear on this one, that the secret to that spiritual power in our life is to walk humbly before God to realize that we need total dependence on God, to be able to lean against Him and rely on Him. You know, every year I kind of do a uh, review of my life, and pretty, pretty in-depth, I go through, very systematic. And uh, I was doing that this past year, and you know, I just started thinking about all the ways I've been blessed with my wife and my kids and my grandkids. Man, they, they bring me so much joy. And then I started thinking about ministry here, getting this campus open this, this past year, and everything that God's doing through Faith Fellowship. And uh, I'll be honest, I just got kind of overwhelmed and, uh, you know, just how gracious God's been. And that God allows me to be a part of it. And it just blows me away, seriously. I mean, every weekend I know people coming to, to church and they're looking for answers in their life, you know. What does God have to say about my life? And, and, and they want to know. And um, I've been in ministry a long time. And uh, I'll be honest with you, through, through the years I have had a deep sense of inadequacy. and I get afraid sometimes. And um, there, there have been times when I've absolutely lacked the strength. You know, the leading's lonely. Those of you that are leaders, you know it can get really lonely at times. But here's what I figured out. God always fills in the gap. You know, and, and as I realize how God's hand has been in things, it just blows me away. You know, how God could take this skinny preacher from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm not so skinny anymore, by the way. But I, I think about that journey Friends, and I'm humbled. I mean, it just blows me away. You know, there's kind of a ritual I go through. Uh, every, every week I'm putting a message together. And I'll sit down at my desk, and uh, it's kind of like, okay, God, here we go again. I'm yours. Use me. And then I'll turn to my computer and go, it's yours. And I start working. And um, I have, have found that when... I humble myself before God and just say, okay, God, what do you want? That God guides me. That God gives me strength. He gives me wisdom that, that I just don't have. 
And I stand up here each week and I think, you know, I can't meet all the needs here. I can't do that week in and week out. I can't do that year in and year out. I mean, nobody can. But what amazes me is every week I'll have people come up and they'll go, how did you know? That is exactly what I needed. And, and you know if you've ever said that to me, because I'll, t- I'll tend to kind of shrug it off, but I'll go, oh, I keep your picture on my desk. I go, what do they need to hear this week? You know, and they'll always kind of laugh. But it, there's just something that happens. I mean, I'll be working on a message, and sometimes I'll be working on it, and I'll think, this just isn't working. This is awful. And I have learned to just kind of trust God in that process. And so, you know, as I've got this attitude with God, many times I'll walk out here and I'll bring that message. I go, it's just not working for me. And God uses me. Now, hear this. It's not because of who I am. It's because of who God is. And what amazes me, those times when I say, this just isn't working for me, but I'm trusting you, that's the times that I get a tremendous response. People catch me, and they got to talk, and I get emails and all this. And I I think I've said this before. I think it's God humor at that point. You know, God's going, hmm, you didn't think it was going to (laughs) work. Maybe you should keep trusting. I mean, it feels like that. You know, I smile and go, eh, you're right. I mean, I have figured this out in life. When I can't, God can. When I can't, God can. You know, in your life, when you can't, God can. Philippians says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And there's a principle at work here in our lives. And that is the secret to strength is admitting you're weak. You know, the secret to power in your life is admitting that you're helpless. You know, the secret to happiness, humility. The secret to victory in your life is total surrender to God. The secret to independence is total dependency upon God. It's all upside down. It doesn't make sense. You know, Matthew 5 says, Happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They understand their need. I mean, that means that, that God is right in the middle. And when I understand that I need God, see, God's power becomes available when I walk with God, when I anticipate God's power, when I totally depend on God in my life. Every one of us here needs Jesus Christ in our life. Every one of us here needs God's power to get through this next week. Now, I know as I say that, some of you are going to walk out of here and go, I don't need God in my life. I'll make it on my own this week. And all I've got to say to that, good luck. And watch out. Because there will come a day when it won't be enough. I mean, with that kind of mentality... When you have a problem come along, you get to deal with that problem on your own, with your own power, with your own ability, with your own intellect, with your own strength. Some of you, you may wonder why you're tired all the time. It may be because you're trying to do it alone. 
You know, you need God in the midst of it. Because when you walk with God, you find you can say, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. In other words, God's power is available. It's waiting to be poured out in your life if you just ask. Did you hear that? If you ask. But you've got to admit, you've got to say, you know what, God? I need your help. I need your help here. Apart from Jesus Christ, I figured out I can't do much. But when you have the attitude, I need you, God. Then God says, you know what? I got supernatural power that's going to get involved. Power to work on your problems. Power to work on the problems that you can't change. I mean, you've tried, but you can't do it. Those areas of your life that you want to control, but you can't. You know, those relationships that are falling apart, and there's nothing you can do about it. That situation that you're not sure you can face or even deal with this week. God says, that's poor in spirit when you realize you need me in the midst of it. John 13 says, now that you know the truth, how happy you will be if you put it to practice. Ask yourself a couple questions. Where do you need to practice humility in your life? You know, where do you need to depend on God more this week? I mean, you need God's power in your life, but it only comes when you activate humility. Humility that says, help me. I can't deal with this. I can't face this. I can't whatever. But you can, God. And the person that says, help me, God, is a humble person. And God says, you know what? If you can bring yourself to that point, God says, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Read with me again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, I thank you that you're there to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to guide us, to comfort us, to see us through. God, I know there are probably as many needs as people here today. God, I pray that we would just humble ourselves before you. And whatever it is we're struggling with or worried about or fretting or trying to deal with on our own, we just lift it up to you. Say, God, I can't, but you can. God, I thank you for the promise of your word. I thank you for Jesus' words all those years ago. He spoke to a people that were searching. God, we're searching. And we found our Savior. God, see us through whatever it is. Give us the wisdom to bow a knee to you. We give you the glory, the praise, the stand every day. Amen.